Greetings and salutations, one and all. Welcome to today's episode of Risk and Reels. I am your host, Jeffrey Wheatman, but you know that, otherwise you wouldn't be here. And today, we are blessed and happy to have uh, a fairly old friend of mine, uh, Lukman Kandeth. Um, Lukman is the Director of Campus Technology Security Services at NYU Abu Dhabi, and we're going to spend a bunch of time talking about his experience and his career working in higher ed, also working in the GCC region in Abu Dhabi, which, which may or may not be something that our listeners are uh, familiar with. I've spent a bunch of time there uh, in my previous role, and I love love coming to town. And I think that's probably where we met at uh, at the Gartner Security Conference. So, so welcome. Say hi to our listeners. Thank you, Jeff. Hi, uh, everybody. Um, it's great to be with you again, Jeff. Um, I always remember our interactions, and uh, I must say I always enjoyed it. Always took back something um, that I learned and was able to apply from you. Excellent. Thank you. So so I'll have Haley send you a, a couple of bucks for, for saying that nice thing. Thank you very much. <laughs> Uh, all right. So as everyone knows, all listeners know, we oh, it is risk and real. So we always talk a little bit about movies. So let me see. All right. I, I got a good one, my friend. Um, so can you name a character in a movie that maybe was unique or, or different and maybe made you see things differently or think about things differently? And then when you're done, I, I'll, I, I have one too. See, I cheat because I know the question in advance. So I know what my answer is going to be. So what, tell me, interesting character, somebody maybe who, who changed you in, in, in a positive way. Wow. Okay. Um, I might need to think about it, but you know, so when you did mention that the first name that came to mind, and this is international, by the way, this is, I, hail from Kerala in India. Uh, we speak Malayalam there. And Kerala movies are known for creating really artistic uh, movies, right? Um, they use, they win a lot of awards in the Indian film festivals and so on. So now, um, with that introduction, um, there's this movie called Drishyam. It means sight or perspectives, right? Um, the character, there's a fame, um, his name, uh, his, the actor's name is Mohanlal. He plays this character, George Kuti. Now, George Kuti, uh, or George, um, is a cable TV salesman and an operator as well. He owns a cable company as well. So he spends almost all his nights watching like hundreds, oh, not hundreds, but 10, 20 different screens. He's, and he's making sure the cable TV service is up and running and so on. But what he does is he's learning all these movies or he's taking in all this information from movies, right? An incident happens. And so that, that's the basic premise of the, uh, that's how the movie starts. But then an incident happens at his home. His daughter accidentally kills somebody who was trying to harass her in their home. Then they have to hide the body, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now the person who died, the, uh, the attacker, happens to be the son of a police officer and a fairly high-ranking And so now it's a battle of wits, wits between George Kuti and this police officer, and they're constantly trying to outwit each other. And it's an amazing movie. Um, it's about how George Kuti applies all that he sees on screen to real life. He literally recreates an entire night of events 
by coaching victims uh, sorry coaching witnesses um he cre- creates like you know so if we were to ask george kuti where were you on the night this person died and you ask correlated with witnesses they will all say oh i saw george kuti over here i saw george kuti over there he was with us at church or and so on so on because he recreated the entire day on the next day of the murder by going to these people and so on anyway it's an amazing movie if there's any international fans out there i'd recommend um do watch that it's called drishyam perspectives All right, that's awesome. I love that. I'll I'll have to my wife and I always have like a running list of movies and TV shows that uh that we watch. So so you mentioned a particular style of movie. So is it is it a different style from Bollywood because that I think was probably what most Americans would be familiar with. Yeah. So um you know when I was growing up, let me tell you a story about this. Um so uh, when i was growing up you know and we had the uh, the farm hands who were helping at the farm and so on right so i'm sitting there my father i'm uh, probably a teenager right um not that we were well off no, don't get me wrong but you know we we had this small area and you know we had farm hands who came in from neighboring states right and so my father tasked me to keep an eye on them uh, because as soon as the adult goes out of what do you say view um they will probably get lazy right so i am supposed to be keeping an eye on them as so i strike up a conversation with them and so on and they tell me what good is malayalam movies man there's no style in it there's no music in it there's no you know cool costumes there's no dance in it <laughs> and so uh, jeffrey to answer your question malayalam movies are more realistic artistic okay. uh, they're not the song and dance routines <laughs> Okay. All right. Good. Yeah. I mean, because I think Bollywood is probably what most folks in North America and Europe, I think, would be would be familiar with. And uh, you know, I think I think there's a place for all different kinds of of movies, right? That's what makes the the world go round. So, okay. Awesome. Thank you so much. That was. I love that. We're going to put that on the list. So, here's my person, and this this one may be sort of taken as a little bit strange, but um, Michael Corleone from the Godfather movies. And the reason I pick him is because he is a great example of someone who has an end game in mind, right? He wants to do the right thing by his family. He wants to get them out of crime. He wants to create a life and a legacy, and every single thing he does causes him to get more and more mired in the life that he did not want to be a part of. And I think it just shows you how um you know the the best laid plans right you don't always go where you want there's there's an old saying that's attributed to many different places but it's um man plans and god laughs and i think so many of us and i see this with my kids you know i have kids in their 20s and i have one who's going off to college um everybody wants to plan their whole life and i said if you if you would have asked me and i don't know about you but if you would have asked me 25 years ago where would you be today it wouldn't be here right <laughs> i don't know where it would be but it wouldn't be here so i think to to me michael corleone and that's i think one of the reasons why those movies are so good we we make believe the third one didn't happen um but because he is so he's trying to do the right thing and he just keeps doing more and more of the wrong things and he keeps digging himself in and then to i guess it's probably not a spoiler because the movie's old now but as a result of that he loses his daughter at the end of the the third movie right and i just think yeah. that that's uh 
a challenge. And I, and I think that actually gives us a, a great transition to the, the risk part of the podcast. So you have been involved in cybersecurity and risk for a, a fairly long time for a, a young man such as yourself. Um, and, and I think that your role now for NYU Abu Dhabi, I think is very unique for a few reasons. Um, one is higher ed is, uh, is, it's a challenging vertical to be in. I've done a lot of work with higher ed folks and we see a wide range of maturity, some programs that are really good and some programs that are still very early on. Um, you're also in a very interesting region uh, in in the world in the in the GCC. And for those of you that don't know, the GCC is essentially a subset of the Middle East where there are companies and businesses, et cetera, and and kind of you know built up uh, you know manufacturing and and technology and, and Abu Dhabi in particular is a, is a finance hub for the region. Um, so so let me kind of let's talk about higher ed to to start with. Um, You've been in your job for almost two years, right? Give or take. Um, tell me, tell me a little, tell us a little bit about your job and what you do there. Number one, and well, let's actually start there. So, kind of, what's a what does a, a week in your life look like in in that role? Mm. <laughs> so, um, uh, first of all, I'm not too sure about the young part, but anyway, I'll take that compliment. <laughs> Um, now, um, what does a week look like? Um, I should say challenging, but very fulfilling, uh, Jeff. Um, higher ed, you know, I always, um, I, I, a long time back, I heard somebody say the same thing, what I was thinking. Uh, and that person was a CISO in a higher ed somewhere in the US. I forgot uh, the university and so on. But what they described it perfectly, which is you're not higher, you're not a CISO or you're not leading the uh, security program at a at an institution, but a city. See, in higher ed, in most, I guess in a lot of cases, you have people who come here maybe you know for a for a day you know they go back home they bring their own devices um they're coming here to learn maybe they're coming for an event on campus then you have people living on campus you have people eating on campus you have um their associated people like say spouses children domestic helps maybe you know and so on and so on and there's service providers on campus there's coffee shops there's um, restaurants um, uh, nurseries, there's building management systems, you name it, you know, so anything you might be able to see in a city, a very, 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 very miniature part is what you um, do, uh, what you see in a, in higher ed, you know, and so it's pretty much the same thing um, over here as well. Interesting. So I never really thought about it that way. A bunch of years ago, I did a consulting project for a university in, in the US. And what we ended up with was we actually ended up treating the network as if the university was an, an internet service provider, right? You're an ISP and your students and teachers are customers and we architected the network. Now, this is going back 20, 20 years. So I love that metaphor, though, the the city metaphor, I think is actually really, really powerful and shows the complexity of what you are, what you're, you're running. Now, quick question. Are you part of IT or do you sit outside of IT in your role? Mm. Uh, we are part of IT. Um, <laughs> <laughs> to 
to answer simply, but uh, what you said uh, also applies to us, uh, Jeff. Like um, we do see ourselves as service providers to the community we serve. So you can say in this mini city analogy or example, we are the service provider for the university. Right. Right. All right. Great. Um, so what's the what's the biggest challenge that you've faced right so the you know somebody comes to you and knocking on your door and going oh what is what is going on over here so what what's the biggest challenge and and how did you sort of navigate the the complexities that you just articulated so well to get where you needed to be or or go where you're going maybe it's not even done yet amazing um I love this question, by the way. I actually talk about this in, you know, when I go for conferences, etc. cetera, um, if somebody gives me an opportunity, I talk about this topic because this is my pet and favorite topic. Um, security, the biggest challenge of cybersecurity in a higher ed environment is the amount of variations and amount of um, different user requirements you have you don't have a standard solution everybody who comes here especially in a research university in a research university and we are one is everybody's doing a different research there is no standard solution you can push out we try to you know before you know obviously you got to manage these things but you have to be willing to make those exceptions and be flexible to ensure that the people who come here, who, who people who probably traveled from many different parts of the world and who come choose Abu Dhabi as their home and why you Abu Dhabi as um, the place to do research can do their work. It's something me and my colleagues in IT always say, look, um, or might tell my team, you know, look, if a hacker uh, prevents somebody from, do- sorry, uh, let me start again. If we prevent somebody from doing their work, what difference are we from, say, a malicious actor? Because we're both, in effect, doing the same thing. And newcomers into a higher ed, you know, they're coming from a security field. They're probably, uh, you know, really techie guys, um, really experts in their field and domain. And they come into the higher ed and they're here to solve all problems. I tell them, uh, guys, uh, look, you solve, you can lock this whole thing down, but then they can't do their work. You know, what's the point then? So how did we go about that? So first thing I did, um, so I've, I've been in the director role two years, but before that I was uh, handling the security architecture over here. That's where I started. Um, drew up a security architecture. You know, we went out to the community, um, spoke to many different people, everybody from students to professors to administrators, everybody. I think we interviewed around 40 different people uh, back then. Um, the outcome, when we spoke to them, we didn't ask them, you know, what are your concerns about cybersecurity? No, that wasn't the question. The question was really simple. Why do you wake up in the morning and come to NYU Abu Dhabi? What do you do over here? You know, uh, do you go to the coffee shop? Tell us about your life. You know, what do you do on a day-to-day basis? Amazing insights, Jeffrey. And, you know, um, this is, I, I, when I said in the beginning that I learned a few things from you, this is one of the things we discussed many years back. You know, you got to know your user community. Yeah? You got to walk around, talk to them, understand what their problems are and so on, what they do in their job. When we understood that, few key, a few key attributes immediately popped up, popped out. People are concerned. Number one, higher ed is reputation. Reputation is 
you know, just very high up there in almost all institutions, you know, whether you check Harvard, Stanford, all over. It's the reputation that allows them to attract high quality students, high quality faculty who then produce high quality research, which then, you know, the value chain, um, which then uh, increases the reputation again. And that cycle goes. So, um, I, and, and, and so on, you know, we found a few attributes which we mapped to the university uh, and said, and I said, look, so these are the attributes. These are what we are here to enable. Reputation, data security, system availability, uh, compliance, and so on. And there were a few more, uh, but these, these were the high level buckets. Uh, let's create a security program that enables our user community to meet these attributes. And you were right in saying that uh, it might still be in progress. It's a never-ending progress <laughs> thing, you know. Um, we did create a program, so we now we understood. Okay, what what are our objective? What are our goals? High-level vision goals, you know. Um, from that, we created the objectives, three-year, five-year plans, and so on. Decided what tools we need, what process and people should be uh, deployed behind the tools to meet these attributes, and so on, you know. Um, where I want to see it go is I want to be also able to measure in terms of these attributes. Then I can make the communication to my uh, faculty or stakeholders or the senior level uh, at the university and say, this is how cybersecurity protected research. I don't want to tell them about, you know, I, mean, I blocked 2000 viruses, which I do, by the way, you know, I'm guilty of that. I do tell them that because I'm still trying to create that. Well, sometimes sometimes you have to tell them what you know, even if it's not necessarily what you want to tell them. Correct. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. I, I'm trying to map that in future. This is what I see this program going, you know, be able to communicate also back in the same language that the vice chancellor perhaps or the, you know the senior administrators and faculty members can understand and it's it has to be about the research it has to be about student numbers it has to be how we enable this academic mission and so on right you know it's interesting because when i first started working with higher ed clients at gartner years ago um somebody said well what do they do for a living i said well their job is to educate students but that's not the job really, right? The goals of the university are what? To your point, to get research money, to get funding, to hire the right faculty, to provide an environment where students want to come. And then a byproduct of that is academic excellence. So it's interesting that, that, that you articulated it in that way. And I have to tell you, I love that that you went to them and said, so kind of, what do you, what do you do? Like what, what, what gets you excited to come to school? So I love that. That's, that's, that is great. And that's, uh, that is definitely advice. I think that a lot of people can, can take away. So, so let me ask you this, what is your relationship to the team at NYU in the States? So um, we collaborate closely. Um, we have an integrated program. Um, I take guidance um, and I follow the global security program. Um, we work very closely. Um, so the global cybersecurity program um, from our global CISO has to uh, secure not just Abu Dhabi, but the whole university with all the different schools across different locations, different compliance requirements and so on. So we make sure we meet uh, global requirements, compliance requirements, and so on. Uh, yeah. Okay. 
All right, great. And and has has that relationship changed over time? Because clearly you are. So this is this is the highest compliment I ever pay someone. Clearly you are excessively competent, right? And I know that sounds a little bit, but to me that that is what we want to get to, right? So have they given you a little bit more freedom as a result of all the great work you've done, or are they still? Providing you know a tremendous amount of of oversight, you know, are they um, all up in your business? Let us say. Oh no 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 not at all. Um, Global Seas was very clear. You know, um, they need certain base level uh, minimum. Uh, what do you say? Visibility into the infrastructure into threats very understandable because if you want if there's a fire going on in our you know in our computer systems, uh, Global needs to know about it so it doesn't get uh, spread across different campuses. So we're very well aligned with that. We use New York tools so that they have the visibility into um, incidents over here. We um, and that's not just from a, a detect and respond, but also from vulnerability management and so on. Um, Network detection and response and so on. So we use New York tools which help us do it, but we provide the local manpower, the local vision and how the local specific configuration and uh, strategy is. All right, great. So one of the things that I've noticed over the last number of years is that more and more European and uh, North American universities are putting satellite schools in Abu Dhabi and Dubai and and in the in the other region. Do you do you have sort of like a local group of other security execs that you meet with and kind of talk? Because there are definitely some unique. Um, I think socio-political and and geographical things in in the region that are not necessarily you know New York won't necessarily resonate with right. So are you working with your peers there to solve common problems or or well I take it back to identify common problems? Forget about solving them. That's second. Yeah, uh, I must say. Um... We're probably not at that level yet. I'm sure that is happening in other industries, and it is actually um, uh, it's happening in banking. I know from my friends who work as CISOs in banks and stuff. Um, so we do have the network, uh, to put it in another way. But while there's probably nothing formal uh, that I'm involved with, uh, I am aware of such formal organizations. Um, but I have this informal, you know, you know your peers, the peer CISOs in other organizations, and you know what's going on. And you know, you're part of a few security groups and so on. Uh, so you stay on track of that. But uh, also, um, we have some very good alerts, uh, similar to CISA uh, in the US. You know, we have uh, corresponding entities over here. Amazing uh, work that they do. You know, the alerts that we get are always on time. And uh, what we did was at the University of NY Abu Dhabi is uh, we made sure that uh, these alerts go into a system. So it's, it's not sitting on somebody's email uh, or it's not just on a Twitter feed, but it gets into a ticketing system and the team looks at it, the SOC team uh, looks at it and so on. So these are, you know, th- this can also be like um, to your earlier question on relationship between New York and us. So this is a really local requirement that we need to fulfill, right? And New York is probably not interested in that. Just uh, t- if you take the case in point, uh, was it a week or two weeks back, there was a um, notification from the UAE cert and, uh, uh, and a few other agencies we talked about yeah. uh, a denial of service attack on UAE institutions and UAE uh, websites and so on. You know, so we were able to quickly get it, put it in the system, check for IOCs, put in some preventive controls, and so on. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I like that. I mean, I, I haven't been in a number of years, but I used to come in to, to the Dubai conference and I was in Abu Dhabi and, you know, a, a lot of other the in the region. And there, there are definitely some unique things there. I think the fact that a lot of the countries are uh, monarchies, I think, gives the central government a lot of ability to influence and guide that we don't necessarily see like in the US or that we see in Europe. And and the one thing I always point out, I always talk to people about, you know, what is the mission and the vision? And as you know, every government office you go into, there's a wall right up front that shows in English and Arabic and sometimes other languages. Here's the mission and the vision. Here are our values. Here are our strategic objectives. And I think that puts you and your colleagues in a great position to really be able to get everyone moving in, in the same direction, even if it's not perfect, because there's we don't necessarily see that sort of um, – I don't want to say organization, but we don't necessarily see the people look. I think sometimes people are going in different directions. So that was one thing I used to love about the the culture and the approach um, in in the UAE. Um, we also know there there there's um, you know other ways. So when I first started coming in 15 years ago, there was a pretty significant gap in maturity from Dubai and Abu Dhabi versus Europe and North America. And I think we've seen that gap close significantly. I think it's much, much closer. And in fact, I think some of the things we're seeing there, I think you have leapfrogged. So maybe tell, tell our, our listeners a little bit about sort of how how do you learn from other areas as well as your your colleagues local to to the GCC? You know, seeing other mistakes being made, seeing you know the regulatory environment, right? You know, in the in the U.S., for example, we the White House just put out another cybersecurity strategy. This is like the fifth one now. Um, so, are you? How do you learn from other regions and and other cultures to be able to kind of push your program? you know, forward. Yeah. <laughs> it reminded me of uh, something I read back, back, way back in my college or university days, you know, uh, regions or uh, areas that uh, are greenfield have the luxury of learning from somebody else's mistakes. Right. Um, and I, I think this was, um, I don't know if you remember, if you ever heard of this, there was this, this uh, textbook computer networks by Andrew Tannenbaum. It's one of the basic textbooks that you had to learn, uh, back in the days. Um, I, I got it in my closet there. over here. <laughs> oh, fantastic. <laughs> anyway, I think if I remember correctly, he talks about, um, how, um, newer countries could do away with the copper wires etc just go straight fiber optic or something like that you know and so this is 20 25 years back when i was uh, doing my graduation i thought of that and it it's answering your question you know a lot of people here in the uae do come from other regions of the world they have extensive networks back in their home countries and so on um and all uh, official bodies do take a very proactive and very protective approach uh, to this one you know they're always learning they're always improving um i have we have few examples where um, some compliance level requirements we had to meet you know for example the new uh, data protection law in uae um, they were all uh, recently, I guess, two years back, uh, brought in, and now uh, companies are trying to be compliant to that. So they're all, you know, they take the best um, of what, and and the, the cybersecurity professionals as well. They take the best of what they see in their home countries, in their networks outside, and uh, constantly improve it over here. 
Yeah, I, I love that 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 leapfrogging that you talked about. I've always actually used India as an example, right? India does not have a lot of buried network infrastructure, but when cell phones became a thing, India leapfrogged the rest of the world because they skipped right over that and went straight to cellular. And you know, I, I, all I know is if the cell phone service was any worse here, I, I would be talking to you using drums and uh, smoke signals in, in, in the U.S. So, uh, so I love, I love that. Um, and, and I think you, you're spot on in that. And that's one thing that I've learned working with folks in, in the region is it's not about catching up. It's about getting to the next level, right? Because if you play catch up, you're always going to be, uh, always going to be behind. So I, I love, I love that. Um, so, um, one, one last question, and then I want to be cognizant of, of your time. I know it's uh, towards the end of your, the end of your day, uh, and actually the end of your week, in fact. Um, so any sort of, um, little tidbits you can share, maybe someone who has, because moving from an architecture role to a leadership role, I think is challenging, right? Architecture tends to be very much focused on diagrams and pictures and flows, but in your current role, the flows are people, right? So any guidance from people maybe who are coming from a more technical side, who want to move into a director role, a manager role, uh, you know, at some point, maybe, uh, uh, you know, a CISO kind of role. I think people would love to hear your experience there. Yeah, so um, I, I I must say the transition from architecture to perhaps leadership um, was what do you say uh, part of the same trajectory I would say, and the reason for my reasoning for that I, I'm I'm sure maybe other people have other opinions is that architecture allows you to see what are you trying to do and quite a lot of times what we see is people you know they come from the technical backgrounds and they bring that that know-how and it's just human by the way i'm not i'm not saying it's right or wrong but when we come up with a certain background you bring it to the role so if you grew up in the technical role all the way to a leadership role you're going to come up you're going to come with that technical background until you learn the landscape has changed your audience has changed your uh, the way you need to communicate has changed and so on right but when you come up when you come through the architecture space you're already thinking in terms of what are you here to do this is a question I come always ask my team whenever they come with a solution or or even when my user, uh, let's say a user community member says, I need to do this. They never say what they need to do. They always say how they need to do it. So, for example, they'll come with a laptop and say, oh, I need the software to software. Hold on. Yeah, sure. I'm, I'm sure you need the software. What actually do you need to do? What really, you know, what is the problem you're trying to solve? That's what I tell my team as well. Think in terms of what. Always think what is the problem you're trying to solve. And then why? Why do you want to solve the problem? When you have these two figured out, the how just becomes a small little detail, right? So coming up from the architecture view, it, you know, I was always, you have that view of what are you trying to do and why you want to do it, et cetera. And the how's just a detail, which probably, you know, uh, if you have an engineering team, they'll, uh, they'll figure it out for you as long as you can articulate the what and the why. And so um, coming into leadership, that view um that perspective on things was really helpful it also helped me articulate what i want uh, back to my leaders uh, back to my leadership you know my managers my directors and so on right um apart from that i'd say a lot i i guess you know in this role um 
I don't know if I ever uh, like I always say this is all about communication. It's all about storytelling. How do you present your story to whoever wants to listen? It's not just about the leadership. Because you know, we talk about leaders needing to be able to communicate to uh, the board and so on. Yeah, absolutely required. But it's not just them. It's anybody who's your audience. Anybody you meet in the elevator. Uh, what do you do for? What do you do in cybersecurity? You know, uh, oh, I don't do this. Um, I protect your viruses, etc. Is that what you do? Yeah, I also do that, but I also help you do your job, you know. Uh, you're publishing a paper right here. Okay, um, how are you going to upload it to this site? What, have you heard of the encryption tools? Do you have a server? Would you like to use one of our penetration testing services? So the cybersecurity program I want to build um, and communicate is a service-oriented one. It has to be, you know, I want to build a service catalog which you do once you do the fundamentals and i'm not saying you know don't do the fundamentals do the fundamentals but then you got to be able to talk uh, offer uh, your community base a service oriented you know a service catalog which says oh you want penetration testing do this do this and so on so i, I know i diverged a bit there uh, no no but i the- i love that and and one of the things that i worked on toward my tail end of my time at gartner was that whole concept of of service catalogs and i i think we're still we still have a lot of area for for improvement that may be a great topic for us to talk about uh in the in the future but uh, i love that so all right so we have taken up a lot of your time um i want to thank you so much this was a great conversation and i think our listeners will will get a lot of good tidbits um it's always nice to talk to people who i've been working with over a time and see how we've been able to help each other, right? Because when I was at Gartner, yeah, my job was to guide people, but I learned just as much from our clients as they learned from us. So I I love that. So um, I want to thank everybody for joining us. Just a couple of kind of wrap up things. So um, I'm going to ask you again to repeat the name of the movie because I don't want to butcher it. So what was the movie that you recommended? Okay. Uh, Drishyam. I'll spell it out. D-R-I-S- H-Y-A-M. Okay. D-R-I-S-H-Y-A-M. All right, great. So everyone needs to check that movie out and see about the trials and tribulations of George. Um, (laughs) uh, So Lukman shared some great stuff on sort of security in uh, higher ed. and, And I love your metaphor about thinking about the school as a city. I think that's brilliant. And I had never thought about it that way. And I really, really love that. And then one final thing, I think the point you made at the end, we don't want to give that short shift because I think it was very powerful. Um, If you want to learn about how people work, ask them. I think we make too many assumptions and we say, well, we know you do this, so we're going to facilitate that. And I've made that mistake plenty of times. And then finally, the very last thing, talking about asking people the what and the why and let us figure out the how. And I think that is true at work as well as at home because I have people around me all the time say, oh, you know computers. How do I do this? Well, what is it you want to do and why? And I think all that stuff is is great. They don't need a computer, right? (laughs) To solve the problem. If you say, so said I remember years and years ago when I was running a help desk, uh, we had a call come in and somebody said, I need you to come fix my, my CD-ROM drive. And I said, well, why? And um, so, because I need it fixed. 
So I said, well, do you need a piece of software installed because we do it over the network? No, she was mad because she couldn't listen to music while she worked, which is not something that we should ignore, but certainly not a high priority when I have people who can't log in. And you know, sometimes people don't want to admit those things. So, all right, excellent. So again, thank you all for joining us uh, with today's episode of Risk and Reels. Uh, our guest today was uh, Lukman Kandeth from NYU Abu Dhabi. I want to thank you so much, my friend. Hopefully, I will get an opportunity to come in region, or maybe in September, we can meet in London at uh, my former uh, company's conference, because I am going to be there. So I want to thank everyone for coming. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay secure. And don't forget, either subscribe above, below, to the side, I don't remember where, but make sure you do not want to miss any other episodes. We have some really, really cool guests coming, and I want to thank you all for joining us. With me now. Thank you for listening to Risk and Reels, a cybersecurity podcast. Be sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to riveting 30-minute conversation about movies and cybersecurity. Jeffrey will be on the road this year at some of the industry's biggest events, but you can always find him on LinkedIn and Twitter at Jeffrey Wheatman. This podcast is powered by Blackkite the only security rating service to deliver the highest quality intelligence to help organizations make better risk decisions.